When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrera, and I am pleased and privileged to be joined by a very special guest, someone that I know needs no introduction whatsoever. Radio royalty, Paul McCaffrey is here. What's up, Paul? Hey, Rob, good morning to you, my friend. Good to see you. Good to see your Niner gear in the background. Shout out that George Kittle jersey. I like that one right there. Yeah. And uh, I'm doing good, man. Great to be with you today, Rob. How are you, my friend? I am doing great. By the way, I got my Tecmo Bowl Jerry Rice t-shirt on, too. <laughs> it's nice. Love yeah. these old school video games, but uh, I'm I'm so excited. I'm so happy that the 49ers are playing on Saturday because I literally cannot wait another day for this game. Yeah, I wound up for it too, man. It's it's an interesting matchup, and I, I know we're going to get into it, Rob. We'll talk about the matchups and what the Niners need to focus on. But I also feel like, to your point about the excitement, I feel like just to take everyone into a little time capsule here, like my 49er Packer history goes back pretty far. So I was a season ticket holder at Candlestick uh, starting in 1996. And I had tickets up in section 54. We were right above the scoreboard in the end zone, in the uh, northern end zone. And I got to see a few of those Packer Niner playoff games up close. And they were painful, man, because Brett Favre really inflicted a lot of damage and a lot of pain uh, back in the mid to late 90s. Now, the Niners did get them the one time with the Steve Young to Terrell Owens game. I was really fortunate. I was at that game, one of the most exciting games I've ever seen. But then you segue into the Aaron Rodgers uh, era, and the Niners kind of turned the tables on them at that point. All those great Harbaugh teams going into Lambeau, winning playoff games with Colin Kaepernick. They did it again with Shanahan. Um, So, yeah, man, this is a rivalry that really, I mean, you really look at like the all-time great rivalries the Niners have been involved with. I mean, Dallas certainly up there, but the Packers are right there. I mean, this is, if I'm not mistaken, this is either the 10th time they'll be meeting in the postseason or the 11th. It's either the 10th or the 11th to the point that there is a lot of history in the postseason between these two teams. Oh, the Packers have have done some dark things to this franchise. I'll never forget <laughs> in 95. I was I thought the Niners are going to go oh. right back. We're, we're, we got this. Who are these Packers? We're, I'm not worried about the Packers. I'm worried about the Cowboys. And they got right. smashed in that game. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, the one thing that stands out in my mind, Rob, about that game is the Adam Walker fumble. Adam Walker's out there with a cast on his arm. He fumbles the rock. The Packers get it. And I really do feel like sometimes games have that kind of momentum swing early that can affect the rest of the game. And I truly feel to this day that the Niners really never got back up on their feet and recovered after that Adam Walker fumble, unfortunately. And that kind of set the stage for several more years of, of Green Bay Packer pain. Dude, how about this one, Rob? This is how crazy I am. 
I can remember the exact calendar date. That's how demented I am. It was <laughs> it was October 14th, 1996 was the next time the Niners and Packers played after the Adam Walker game. It was a Monday nighter in Green Bay. I want to say it was an overtime game, actually. I think like 23 to 20, Niners lose that game. But that kind of was the beginning, the Adam Walker game into the Monday nighter in 96. And then they did meet again in the postseason in 96. The uh, Niners had to go to, to Lambeau, and it was like sleet, ice, and it was a horrible day conditions-wise. Steve Young had broken ribs. He only played a couple series and Elvis Gerback came in. Yeah. And they blew us out. They blew us out. I think the final score was 35, 14, something like that. And the Packers were on their way to their first Super Bowl, actually with Brett Favre. They were on their way to winning their first title with Holmgren and Favre and Antonio Freeman, Dorsey Levins, all those guys. Um, And it was kind of like that. The Packers were just a step ahead of San Francisco from around 95 to 2000. With the exception of that one time, we got them at the stick with uh, Steve Young to Torello. It's a great game. But you're right, man. There was a lot of pain inflicted on us Niner fans during that that time period. That call, Joe Starkey's call of the T.O. catch, is my favorite call of any call ever in sports. I think it's a damn masterpiece. I Sometimes I just play it when I'm in a bad mood, and it makes me happy. Here's the weird part about this game to me, Paul, is that both okay. fans are going into this game, and they are saying, a different team we got a different quarterback the 49ers fans are confident because jimmy g is gone the packers fans are confident because hall of famer aaron Rodgers is gone and that is really weird to me well you know it's interesting because i feel like the 49ers when they are playing their best football i'm talking about this year specifically with this coaching staff with this front office with this quarterback now with brock purdy i feel like the niners are I mean, I don't think you can really argue this point. They are certainly have to be considered among the top two teams. The other one having to be, obviously, the Baltimore Ravens. These are the two number one seeds. But I feel like the Niners, if they play their best football, if they are cohesive, if they don't hurt themselves with penalties and turnovers, I I don't think there's anybody that can beat them. And I'm trying to be as objective as possible. And I don't say this every year, Rob. There are other uh, postseasons where I'll say, yeah, we're good, but we're going to have our problems with X, Y, or Z. This year, I really do feel like we are, in some cases, our biggest enemy. Like that, the Ravens game, for example, is a good case in point. Like, I feel like I don't want to take credit away from the Ravens. Lamar Jackson's amazing. He's probably going to win the MVP. But I feel like the Niners beat themselves more in that game than Baltimore kind of beat beat us. I, th- I kind of think we did it to ourselves. So I feel more confident this year, Rob. I really do. Now, Green Bay, they have a lot of reason to feel optimistic. I mean, what? The, let me ask you this. When they went into Dallas last week, honestly, like what was your expectation in that game, Rob? What did you expect to see? I expected to see Dak Prescott turn the ball over, and I thought if Jordan Love puts on the Superman cape, they have a shot to win because we've seen this with the Cowboys now. This is not a bug. It's oh. a feature from the Cowboys. It's incredible. You know, and how about this, Rob? How about the fact that we wake up or we learned yesterday, last night, Mike McCarthy is coming back. Jerry Jones is bringing him back. I mean, I, I, I was watching Stephen A., you know, a few minutes ago before I jumped on with you, Rob, and he was saying they're addicted to being disappointed. It was kind of a funny joke, but I don't understand the mindset. Like, I don't know what Jerry Jones is thinking. I mean, if he thinks this is the, the recipe and the ingredients – that that are suddenly going to kick in and work next year to move the Cowboys ahead. I, I kind of think he's delusional, but 
Um, I expected Dallas to handle their business. I did not see that coming. I have to admit, I thought Green Bay would compete. I think Jordan Love, what he's done the back end of this season has been pretty spectacular. He deserves a lot of credit. But for a rookie quarterback to go on the road and have that kind of performance, I also think the Dallas secondary was half asleep. I mean, there were plays when he was finding receivers downfield. There were literally there, you, there were no defenders in sight. There were no defenders in the screen. There were receivers literally waiting for the ball to come. That's how unguarded they were. So they're not going to have that luxury this week. The Niner D is not going to. I mean, they'll be all over those receivers. They're physical. They're going to be playing a very uh, a, a tight coverage game. But I got to say, man, I have a healthy respect for what Green Bay is coming in with. I think we all have to. I think you can't assume that Jordan Love is just going to kind of run out of gas. I expect him to compete, Rob. I'm not saying he's going to be as productive as he was last week, but I expect that he will make a handful of plays. I think we have to be ready for that. I would agree. The analogy I've used with the Packers is like, they're just, they're a cake that's not quite done baking yet. Maybe next year, the year after, I think that they have such a young team that maybe they'll be, you know, a real uh, force to be reckoned with in the NFC. But I still have said that, they haven't really been in a real playoff game. When they went up seven, nothing on the Cowboys, the Cowboys turtled up and said, please don't hurt me. The Packers, (laughs) the Niners are not going to do that. The Niners, they've been in playoff games before. This team is battle tested. And every former player that I have ever heard speak and that have, I have ever heard talk to has said, there is a different level of intensity in the playoffs. That is not normal from the regular season. And almost none of the Packers have really felt that yet. I think. So let me tell you this, Rob. That's a great point that you bring up. So uh, during training camp last August, prior to the season even starting, my old partner, Brian Murphy, and I, we were down at Niner Camp, and we were uh, doing a broadcast. We talked to – we had Fred Warner on the show. We had Brock Purdy on the show. Um, Hufanga was one of our guests. And then we went out to the practice field, and we watched these guys working out. Now, again, they hadn't even played – a snap in preseason yet. But to your point, talking to the great broadcaster, Tim Ryan, he was on the practice field with us. He told us that right away. He goes, guys, there is a different vibe in the air this year with this bunch because this, you got to keep in mind, like a lot of the guys on this team right now and on the coaching staff in the front office, they're no strangers to the big stage. So some of these guys have already played in the Super Bowl. There are members of this team that have played in two NFC title games and been disappointed twice. So the point is, they are, there is a nastiness involved with this team where I feel like they have taken their lumps. They have paid their dues. They have been to the doorstep and they've come up short. But I think that's going to fuel them in this postseason. So you're right. There's a physicality to these guys. There is a nastiness. In fact, Rob, I was checking out your podcast, man. I was looking through some of your older episodes, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I saw one of your episodes was called something like Bully Ball, right? Like the Niners are going to come out and bully these teams, and that's the perfect word. They do play like a bunch of bullies, and that goes for the offensive side of the ball too. Now, there aren't a lot of teams, I think, standing in the postseason yet that are as physical on the offensive side of the ball as San Francisco is because they inflict, like they look for contact. George Kittle looks for contact. Debo with the ball in his hand, he's running right at DBs. Same with Christian McCaffrey. Like that's one thing about his game. I don't think I realized until I've seen a full season, like a body of his work, Christian McCaffrey. I didn't realize how physical he was. Like he will take the rock and run right over guys. Like I didn't really know how much of that was part of his game, but it's been a pleasure to watch him. And um, all the way back to your original point, Rob, 
Yes, there is. There's a different feeling with this team this year. I totally agree. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, speaking of those old Packers teams, their former tight end, Mark Chimura, said, yeah. hey, a 15-yard flag on Brock Purdy early on is worth it if you knock the crap out of him. And I just kind of laughed at that because my response is like, you think you're going to bully the 49ers. Like, this is the team you think you're going to get physical with? Good luck. <laughs> right, right. Right. Well, first of all, that's kind of a foolish thing for him to say uh, publicly because that's not the NFL anymore. I mean, the NFL doesn't roll like that. You can't be calling out, you know, intent to harm, disable or take a quarterback out of a game. No, Rob, back in the 90s, they used to do that man openly. Buddy Ryan's defenses used to say like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to knock the quarterback out in the first first quarter. But today's NFL is not that way. So Chamorro is running his mouth. Uh, you know, I remember him from the Brett Favre teams, good player, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not going to take anything he, t- he says very seriously. First of all, let's see them get to Brock Purdy. I don't think he's given enough credit for his elusiveness. Brock Purdy can move like he's not going to just stand there and wait to get hit. He'll slide out of the pocket or he'll just tuck it in and run upfield uh, to avoid content. So stuff like that, Rob, like Chamora running his mouth. I'm not going to I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. It'll be answered on the field, you know. I think there's a pretty good chance the 49ers are aware of that comment. Oh, oh, there's no question. Oh, they know. They know what's being said. No question about it. You know, Rob, let me ask you this. One of the things some of the some of my friends and I have talked about that are Niner fans, they talk about the layoff, the number one seed, getting that extra week. All the players you talk to or former players, guys like Dante Whitner, they will tell you there is nothing more valuable than that bye week, especially now when there's only two – uh, buys in the entire league and in, in both conferences, you got the Ravens and the Niners. Where are you, Rob, philosophically? Into I have my own feelings, but I'm curious about yours. Like the rest versus rust kind of idea and debate. Where are you with that? Do you have any concerns that the week layoff takes the Niners out of their rhythm in any way? I think it's both. People like to choose one or the other because we always frame it rest versus rust. They might be yeah. a little rusty. But the benefit of having that week off and that time to heal, to me, far outweighs some rust that may or may not occur. Because we know there's no question that having a week off helps you recover physically. The the rust is still up for debate, but there's no question they got a benefit from that. Christian McCaffrey, Trent Williams, Dre Greenlaw. Poor Dre Greenlaw, I feel like, is always, you know, duct tape and dreams at the end of the season. They needed that rest. And we have seen when they are rested, this team plays at a different level. So I will take that coming out of the week, even if they may not be as sharp early in the game as they normally are. I like that answer, man. I do. I agree with pretty much everything you said there. And Rob, I got to dive in real quick with you. So Rob, first time I'm talking to you on the podcast, I love your background. I got to get a better background in my own house. I got to get a little studio set up, but I got to get into inside the world of Rob for a second here. So you're talking to me. Now, I'm in uh, San Rafael, just north of San Francisco. Now, I understand you're an East Coast guy, and yep. you're broadcasting from Connecticut. Is that right? That's right. I'm in my house, born and raised in Connecticut. I actually grew up. Uh, I still live like 20 minutes away from ESPN. Um, and I just okay. didn't want to have to choose between the Giants, Jets, or Patriots when I was a kid. Like, why do I have to pick between yeah. three teams? And, of course, I was born in yeah. 1985. So I'm a baby of the 80s. Well, who was good in 1985? The 49ers. So I picked the team all the way across the country who was really good. And I have been a dyed-in-the-wool 49er fan ever since. 
I love it, man. Great answer. And I compliment your taste. You got great taste choosing the Niners. Now, here's my question. Like where, so on game day, right? Like whether it's a playoff game, regular season game, like give me the lay of the land for you, Rob. Like where are you watching the games? Who's with you? Are you solo? Like what's your whole setup on Sunday? Well, normally I'm in my house, in my living room, in the same spot on the right side of my couch, right in front of the TV. I've got my pad. I have all, I have like five different color pens that I use to take notes all throughout the game. And I used to watch solo. I have a son. So he, he's into the Niners now. So he watches with me, but I can't have distractions. A lot of the time my wife will take my daughter and go to her parents. Like I, I am locked in. I don't know how you are. No, it's a pretty much a mirror image, man. I So like I said earlier, I mean, back in the old days before, and by the way, congrats on your son. That's awesome. I had, uh, I was a season ticket holder at Candlestick for about six seasons. And then uh, I had two kids. So we had to kind of get rid of the tickets, just a big expense. And we didn't have the time. But now I'm kind of like yourself. Like most of the time, I'd rather just be alone in the command center, in yes. front of the TV, in my spot. I'm not messing around with the phone. I'm not taking calls. It's got to be me in the game, uh, hyper-focused. And even sometimes, I got to tell you the truth, like going to sports bars, I had to give that up years ago. Like there's too much going on. There's too many people running their mouths. So I think I and the general public are best served when I'm kind of isolated in my own little cubby watching the Niner game solo, kind of like yourself. I feel you, man. I'm so regimented. So I went to my first Niners game ever this year. I was at Levi's nice. for the Cowboys game. And oh, nice. It was incredible, like blew my mind. Everything about it was fantastic. But there was still yeah. part of me that missed being able to see like <laughs> the replays and hear what the announcers are saying and, and pull down little nuggets from the graphics that were on the screen. Like I would, I'm so glad I went, but I'm also like, I really like just my routine of it all. Hey, you know, Rob, I got to tell you, too, man, uh, it's funny. Right before we turned on the camera today and started talking to each other on the podcast, I just asked you about Connecticut because I have a little Connecticut experience. I went to college up in Boston. I had some friends in Connecticut. And I got to tell you, probably my favorite thing about Connecticut, and I say this like, honestly, I would swear on a Bible to this point, is the fact that Connecticut and New Haven is the home of what I think might be the best pizza I've ever tasted. And on the old Murph and Mac show, we talk a lot of pizza on the show, man, and I think the best pizza I have ever had comes from Connecticut. I want to shout out Frank Pepe's Pizza. You know, I see the gesture. Okay, so Rob, you're a fan. You've been baptized in the world of Frank Pepe. Yes, I keep telling people, Connecticut doesn't have much, but one thing we <laughs> have that is the best is the pizza, and nobody believes me. I want all everybody in the chat, all everybody watching this, you heard it straight from Paul's mouth. The one thing yep. Connecticut has is pizza, and it is awesome. I got to tell you the truth. It is beyond legit. And you're talking to a guy. I've had pizza in New York. I've had pizza in New Jersey. I've had pizza in Italy, for God's sakes. I've had pizza all over California. But again, I think, and you know what's funny? When I had Frank Pepe pizza, you know who was with me? It was my partner, Brian Murphy. Mm-hmm. We were in Boston covering a uh, Red Sox uh, giant series a couple of years ago. So I think it was in 2019. Uh, before the pandemic, and he and I went out to Frank Pepe's because they have locations in Boston. They have one out in Chestnut Hill near uh, Boston College, and we walked in there. And my, li- I'm telling you the truth, man, my life has never been the same because every pizza that I eat now is measured up against that Frank Pepe pizza, 
and I, I don't think I've topped it. I don't think I ever will top it. So enjoy the games and enjoy your Frank Pepe pizza, man. Have a slice for me this weekend, Rob. You got it. Absolutely. Uh, you, Everybody, I'm telling you, it is literally worth the trip. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get back to 49ers Packers in a second, but you did bring it up. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity because of how everything ended up with KMBR. I don't know if you've right. done a bunch of interviews since then, um, but is there anything that you wanted people to know about that situation? Yeah. I mean, first of all, sure. I will, Rob, you know, it's, it was a great, great experience in my life. And I, I can't say enough good things about my partner, Brian Murphy. I mean, he's an amazing guy with a really highly decorated career in journalism before we even came together. I mean, he wrote for the LA times. He wrote for the San Francisco Chronicle and he was on the Oakland A's beat. He was on the 49ers beat. So his body of work on its own is really impressive. And then there's just the guy, the man, Brian Murphy, like he were, were different people. Like he was a serious journalist. I was more of a comedian type having a good time. You know, it was a morning show. So we like to have fun get people laughing, uh, talk about music, talk about pizza, talk about sports. And um, it was an amazing run. And all I can say really is, you know, this is the way business goes sometimes. You know, there are budgets, there are real financial obligations. And sometimes it's really not even about performance. Sometimes it's about, you know, the ability to properly fund and budget a station. And things have changed. The radio industry has changed a lot. And there's a lot of really good people at KNBR, the station I worked at for 18 years. I mean, I can't say enough good things about, you know, my producers and, and you know, the management, some of them. <laughs> but my but my co-host, Brian Murphy, is the guy that I really want to focus all my energies on and say that I love the guy dearly. And again, Rob, you know, who knows what the future brings? There are, there. who knows what kind of scenarios will present themselves. He and I could work, uh, wind up working together again in the future. Um, and, uh, and I will be back right now, Rob, I, I, it's kind of vague. I don't want to say too much, but I would just say that I will be back on a microphone in the upcoming months. And until then, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and I look forward to that, but nothing official to announce yet, just to well, keep that clear. That is awesome. And I'm sure I speak for a ton of 49er fans that are very excited to hear that. Um, so I was with NBC in 2020, I was producing pro football talk live with Mike Florio and Chris Sims and COVID hit and I got oh, yeah. I got laid off. And at that point, I had been producing a national morning show for about 14 years. And I will never forget the feeling of the NFL draft going on. And, and there were rumors and stories were happening and people were getting drafted. And I had no job. I had nothing to do. I had no show to produce. And I didn't right. know what to do because I'd always been <laughs> in the habit of reacting to stuff. And I, I just yeah. got to sit and watch and it was a bizarre experience for me. I will never forget. Yeah. Have you had that this year watching the 49ers? I have. No, I definitely have. And you're right. It's kind of fish out of water territory where you're so used to certain routines. And like yourself, I was on a morning show for 18 years. So you know what? It's funny, Rob. Like the first couple of weeks that I was away from KNBR, like my body clock would just wake me up <laughs> at like 4.15 in the morning. I'm like, oh, shit, I don't have anywhere to go today. I can go back to sleep. But, um, yeah, no, it is different. And you kind of have to recalibrate, like, your whole life and your whole schedule and the way that you consume games. The way, like you said earlier, um, when you watch Niner games, you have a pad and you're writing notes out. And I'm the same way. And some of those things have been adjusted. Like, now I'm watching a little bit more as a fan. I don't feel, like, as responsible to retain every little detail and, like, penalties and things like that. 
But when I'm on the air doing a show, yes, you got to be accountable for all that kind of information. So I would say like my viewing habits have kind of relaxed a little bit. It's not quite as intense. I can watch more as a fan, which is kind of enjoyable to be honest with you. Like, cause I can, I can get stupid with it sometimes. <laughs> if I don't like what's going on, I can go back to the insults instead of the, uh, you know, the X's and O's and the breakdowns. But um, yeah, it's an adjustment. No, it definitely is an adjustment. And Rob, what was the, uh, what was the morning show you worked on for 14 years? Well, I did seven years with Pro Football Talk Live. And then before that, I yeah. did seven years with Mike and Mike, with Mike Greenberg and Mike Golick. Oh, wow, dude, congrats. Great. Both of those are great shows. And okay. it's, it's, it's kind of like you and I had similar experiences. It's not really a performance-based thing. Things happen in the business, and suddenly budgets are getting rewritten and, and people are getting reassigned. So I feel for you, but good for you for picking up the pieces and launching your own, own show. How long have you been doing the Niner broadcast, the gold standard? So the gold standard started in January when I was laid off right before the Cowboys game. Um, so I was sort of scrambling to okay. get everything up and running. So we've only been, you know, this is about a year now. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a different world. Like I'll say that, but, but to be able to have full control over everything, especially me as someone that was a producer for so long, I was always, you know, yeah. trying to convince hosts of like, Hey, we should talk about this or what about this angle? Now I don't have to convince anybody of anything. I just, Say whatever right. I want. <laughs> no, that is great. That's one of the great freedoms of having your own show is you direct the content. You take it wherever you want to take it. That's a good call. Yes, it was uh, definitely something that I got used to very, very quickly. Uh, Boss yeah. Run 95 YouTube channel member says the Connecticut pizza hype makes me want to fly to the East Coast to try some. You will not be disappointed. I promise. No, Rob's not kidding. Uh, he's not kidding. I would say that. So taking the trip to the east coast there's so much you can do go catch a red Sox game go check out yankee stadium go to new york city you know what i mean go to a ranger game at the garden whatever and the good thing about about connecticut and new haven where frank pepe's is it truly is kind of the halfway point between new york and boston those two cities are about four hours away from each other uh driving so mm -hmm. if you were in new york quick two-hour jaunt bam now you're at frank pepe's you get the pizza you take the rest of the trip up to Boston, and then when it's time to come back, hit Frank Pepe's again. But, Rob, you're not kidding. It is worth the trip. I know that sounds crazy, but it really is true. That's how good that pizza is. It's it's life-changing. John Veen says, one great pizza place does not mean Connecticut has the best pizza. John, that's just it. Okay, it's, a, it's, not, it's, a, it's, it's not one good pizza. There's modern pizza. And I, what really separates it for me is I think the average slice of pizza in Connecticut is better than the average slice of pizza almost anywhere else in the country. That's how good it is. It's kind of an underrated pizza spot, to be totally honest. Like, New York gets all the attention. They have the big spotlight. And and deservedly, listen, there's some incredible pizza uh, in New York City. In fact, if anybody is uh, cares to ever check it out, I would say go down to John's on Bleecker as a good starting place. That's some of the best pizza you find in New York City. Uh, John's on Bleecker. You won't be disappointed. But again, as a guy, I've been eating pizza, like I said, all up and down the East Coast, all up and down the West Coast. I went to Italy uh, last year, 2022, and I ate pizza all over Northern Italy. And I'm telling you, Frank Pepe's was better than all of them. I know it's crazy to say, but you're right, Rob. It's kind of under the radar in terms of your uh, glamorous pizza locations or destinations, but it is every bit as good. Trust me. You know who else you can ask? Take it over to Brian Murphy. My, my partner, he'll tell you the same thing. If you ask Brian Murphy, hit him up on Twitter, go, hey, Murph, where's the best pizza you've ever had? I guarantee you 
he will say Frank Pepe's guaranteed. John says the Connecticut pizza hype is like the Jordan love hype. That's fantastic. By the way, <laughs> John is a YouTube channel member. Shout out to all our members here. We, I appreciate you so much. If you want to support the channel, please do. It's less than $3 a month. You get priority comment response. You get custom emojis. You get membership badges. If you want me to follow you on Twitter, I will. One of our other hosts here on the network makes me promise that as well. If you want it, I'm happy to do it. Uh, but please consider becoming a YouTube channel member. Shout out to Gammon Brown, who says, question for both of you. What was one mistake on air that you wish you could take back? And people don't realize when you speak on the air for so long, sometimes words just come out of your mouth. And as soon as they are out, you wish you could just pull them back in. But it just happens sometimes. No, it's a great question. Um, here's the, the honest answer. The first thing that came to my mind, I got to be totally honest with you guys. Now, I will say this. When you do a radio show uh, on traditional terrestrial radio for 18 years, you got to remember, it's not the Wild West. It's not a podcast. It's not the Internet. It's not Sirius Satellite. There are FCC rules, regulations, and restrictions. Now, here's what happens, Rob. I was really fortunate, as I said, to work with Brian Murphy. He and I became really, really good friends, not just on-air partners. Like, we're good friends in life. And for me... Like when I'm really comfortable, when I'm really relaxed, you're going to get the unfiltered Polly Mac. And with that might come some colorful language every now and again. There might be an F-bomb that slips out here or there. <laughs> so to answer your question, the big mistake that I made, and it happened more than once. It happened a couple of times in my career um, where I let an F-bomb slip live on the air. Now, at that point, the reason that happens, at least speaking for myself, is because I really am so relaxed in the moment. You kind of forget that you're doing a show, and that's a compliment to the people that you're working with. That you you're you're so wrapped up in the conversation, and you feel so relaxed and at home. You you kind of forget you're doing a broadcast. Now, when that happens, as you know, Rob, working with Mike and Mike, and uh, and 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 your other previous experience, you know that you have a dump button, mm -hmm. and if a profanity is to slip out on the air, there's generally a seven second delay for the non-radio people to know that you can dump out of the out of that signal and then it will rebuild. And the audience generally won't even know what happened. They'll hear like a little gap in the broadcast, but they won't hear the offensive word. Now, I had a situation, I would say this is probably around 2010, 2011, back in that period, where I let a naughty word loose on the air. And again, it was because of all the reasons I said. I was relaxed, I was comfortable, we were feeling good. And I think an F-bomb slipped out. Now, the uh, general manager at the time, this is the man who hired me, shout out Tony Salvador, is a guy that truly opened all the doors for me and gave me a shot. He heard the offensive word before it got dumped because he was in the building listening without the, uh, without the delay. And as soon as the show ended, I went to our office. Murph and I went to our office and we're sitting down there. And somebody came down to my office and said, hey, Paulie, uh, Tony Salvador wants to see you. <laughs> and I said, oh, man, like I actually thought like this could be it. I might be walking the plank right here. I might be getting this could be my last might have just done my last show. And I walked into his office and he goes, Bali, sit down, close the door. And it's kind of how he talked. He was a colorful guy. And he goes uh, and I walk in and he goes, do you know why you're here? <laughs> <laughs> no, he did. And I said, yeah, Tony, I think I do. I think I do know why I'm here. And I explained I'm really sorry. I uh, told the producer to dump the signal, which he did. So the audience never heard it, but they heard it in the building. So that's to answer that question. 
Probably the biggest mistake I've made is getting so relaxed that I let an F-bomb slip out on the air. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, uh, it didn't cost me my job, mercifully. I'll knock on wood for that one. But um, that was a big one for me. How about for you, Rob? you have any uh, scary moments like that? Well, well, I haven't been on the air too long. You know, I've been mostly behind the scenes. Um, I have done plenty of stupid things as a producer, however. Um, I played right. a tape, I played a taped interview in a radio segment that was too short for the interview. And so that was an adventure. We had to sort of cut that off, but we had a hard out at the end of the segment too. So that was uh, a little adventure. I did once say that Patrick yeah. Ewing was better than Tim Duncan on the air, which I don't know why I ever said that because that's clearly not true. Um, but don't worry. I'll have plenty of opportunities to screw it up in the future for sure. You're right. Well, you about know what's good though, Rob? And, and I like what you said there. You said like that turned into an adventure. And you know, it's funny. I look back on stuff like that, the mishaps, the moments where you are scrambling. You know what I learned about that is from those moments of panic, from those moments where everything kind of breaks down, you actually do learn how to handle those situations without like totally falling to pieces on the air. You got to learn how to continue to go forward, make it seem like everything's fine because you don't want the audience to know like everything's melting down around you. Um, so you're right. It, it, things can turn into an adventure, but there is value in that. The value is learning how to manage those situations and all the while on the surface, try to appear like everything is cool. You know, it's all part of it. That applies perfectly to the 49ers and Brock Purdy, because I think that is oh, yeah. exactly what happened on Christmas Day against the Ravens and Brock has yeah. been very open and honest after that game, talking about it. He got caught up in the moment early on. He tried to force a ball and threw a dumb interception. And then he felt like he needed to try and make a play. He needed to try and go above yeah. and beyond to fix the, the things that he had messed up and it snowballed on him. And I really feel yeah. like he understands that he realizes what happened. And I think he's going to be better off for it going forward. I love what you just said. I love that. And I totally agree. See, that's why I mentioned earlier, Rob, like I feel, and I, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I really do believe this, that the Niners are more capable of hurting themselves than other teams are capable of hurting them. Like you said, Purdy forces a bad pass rather than shake it off and move on to the next series. He tries to make up for it and overcompensate. And then you start to have self-inflicted wounds and penalties and suddenly you're going in the wrong direction and things are disjointed and there's frustration. But when they stay within what they do best, I don't think the Packers can beat them. I'm just being totally honest because I've asked myself this a lot this week, Rob. I've said to myself, who are the Green Bay Packers? Okay, well, let's be real about it. They're a 9-8 and eight team. They're a second-place team. They didn't win their division. They're a wild-card team. The Lions got that one. Uh, now, the Packers do deserve credit. I don't want to badmouth them or discredit them from what they've done. They looked incredible last week, and they are playing really, really good football. But <clears throat> their two biggest weapons, obviously, Jordan Love, Aaron Jones. I just don't see Aaron Jones having a game like that this week, the way he did in Dallas. I don't see it. You know, first of all, you got Eric Armstead back in the middle plugging up those gaps, and that's going to be huge. The, the His ability to clog up the run, I think, was really – missed when Armstead wasn't playing in the last few weeks. I think getting him back is going to be a huge boost. And I look at that defensive front, Rob, and I, I I just don't see it. I don't know that the Packers are going to be able to run the ball. Now, they might pop a play or two here or there for a couple of medium to, to big gains, but 
if that's something they think they can consistently go to the run game with Aaron Jones and expect them to move the chains, I don't think they're going to have success. I don't. And now you're talking about putting the game in Jordan Love's hands. And again, he is not going to have that kind of time. He is not going to have that kind of uh, like time to look downfield and look for second options because the Niner defense is going to be all over him. These guys are going to be shot out of a cannon. And when you talk about adding that extra week of rest that we talked about earlier, Rob, fresh legs, man. Bob McKittrick, of the of one of the, the old 49er offensive line coach, he used to preach that when asked about why is the Niner pass rush, or, or excuse me, why is the uh, 49er offensive line able to execute so crisply late in games? His answer was always fresh legs. The team with the freshest legs is going to be the more effective team. You got a team with fresh legs on both sides of the ball. And again, when I think about Aaron Jones, I just don't see it, man. I don't know. I mean, where are your what's your concern level with Aaron Jones in the run game against if this Niner defensive front? How do you feel about that matchup? He's a good player, but I've seen him against this defense before, number one. And number two, the 49ers have not allowed a 100-yard rusher in 44 straight games. That is the Incredible. longest active streak. It's the longest streak by anybody since the Saints from 2017 to 2020. So if Aaron yeah. Jones is going to go off, he's going to have to do something that nobody has been able to do against the 49ers in quite some time. And I go to the Arizona game. The Cardinals late in the year ran for 234 yards on the 49ers and lost the game by 16 points. It didn't even matter they ran for all those yards because the Niners dropped 45 on them. Even if the Packers are able to get the running game going and move the ball, I don't see the Packers stopping the 49ers unless they force a turnover somehow. I think the Niners are going to go right down the field. Yeah, I, I do too. And I also think that, um, you know, you know how well Shanahan's opening drives are usually executed. Like yes. eight times out of 10, the Niners are going to find a way to put a touchdown on the board in that opening drive. Or that's the way it feels anyway. Like when they kick a field goal on the opening drive, I, I'm disappointed. Like I almost expect seven on the opening drive. And you've given Shanahan two weeks to scheme, two weeks to game plan, watch the Packer tendencies. I think the opening drive should go uh swimmingly for the 49ers or at least i expect that um and you know then there's just the experience rob like i said earlier like you've got guys on this team that have not only postseason experience but experience on the biggest stage you've got guys that have played in super bowls you've got guys that have played in two nfc title games the packers can't say that they don't know what this stage is going to feel like now again credit to their win in dallas but they took the crowd out of that game very very early on the Dallas crowd was not a factor. I think the Levi's crowd is going to be a factor. I think Jordan Love is going to have a hard time running that offense in that kind of environment that truthfully he hasn't heard yet on the road in the postseason because Dallas, that turned into a library. By the end of the first quarter, it was it was a church, you know? That's a good point. Really, <laughs> they never let the crowd get into it. They basically jumped out ahead no. and the Cowboys crowd didn't. Levi's is going to be shaking. When Trent and Debo come out of that tunnel with the boom box oh. – it's going to be <laughs> incredible. And the Niners, you mentioned it. They scored 76 points on the opening possession this season. That sets the NFL record since they've gone to 17 games. So they clearly can get after it and get after it right away. A couple of super chats here. James Welsh, thank you very much. I believe that if Purdy didn't have such a long history of throwing interceptions due to hubris and erratic play, the drops last year, the interceptions this year in college, data tells me it continues. This 
touches on something that I feel like has become a narrative that doesn't make sense to me. People are acting like Brock Purdy has a turnover problem because I think they saw the four turnovers against Baltimore, but like he's got the same number of interceptions this year as Jordan Love. The, he he doesn't chronically turn the football over. It's just the only way you can beat the 49ers. Yeah, you know, I'm not overly concerned about turnovers. I mean, let's let's let this game play out first before I, I don't want to spend a lot of energy getting uptight about turnovers because I watched Joe Montana play. I watched Steve Young play. I mean, listen, I can assure you, those guys threw interceptions in the postseason. I saw it. I believe me. I don't even want to bring this up, but I mean, you go back and watch that 1992 NFC Championship game. Steve Young threw interceptions at critical times in the game. Joe Montana threw interceptions uh, in, in NFC title games. I mean, more than once. So you kind of listen when you've got a quarterback like that, like Brock Purdy, like Joe Montana, like Steve Young. These guys, they get out there with the intent of attacking. They're not going to sit back and be passive. Or these guys are not choir boys. They're going to go for the throat. They're going to go for the kill. And with that, sometimes there's some gambling involved. And you've got to play reckless. And you've got to play uh, with the aggressive intent. And the result of that sometimes, unfortunately, can be interceptions. Now, there are different kinds of picks. The pick you mentioned, Rob, against um, Baltimore was kind of a forced mistake. He forced that ball into a situation that he really shouldn't have. Um, but by and large, no, I got to be honest, I, I don't have that the same way James did. He came in with that concern about Brock's um, pension for, for throwing picks. I don't feel overly concerned about that. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Now, let's see how this game plays out. If we see that rear itself again and the Niners win, I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot more next week. But or is that something that's you're anxious about, Rob, Brock Purdy and p- potentially throwing picks? No. I think for the first time in a while, we have a quarterback with the 49ers that when he drops back, I think something good is about to happen. Whereas with Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm hoping something bad didn't happen. And to me, that is the that's big- actually That's a great point. That is a great point. You know, just think about how you feel watching Brock Purdy drop back in the pocket as opposed to how you felt watching Garoppolo. Now, I got to say this about Jimmy G. I I like Jimmy G a lot. First of all, I've had experiences with him off the field. He's a great guy. If you spend five minutes with Jimmy G, he will win you over. I guarantee that. His teammates loved him, um, and they wanted to play for him. Jimmy G, yeah, he hurt us. There were times Jimmy G hurt the Niners. I mean, there's no getting around that. But I feel those concerns or those moments where you would hold your breath, Garoppolo drops back, you're like, oh, Jimmy, oh, oh, oh. I don't feel that way with Brock. I feel a much higher level of confidence. I'm just being honest. I agree. And it's a smaller sample size, but I think he's earned it. I think he's earned that level of confidence. And the other thing, too, is it's one thing to throw interceptions. You can overcome that if you're also generating big plays and scoring touchdowns. The Rams won the Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford a couple years ago. He led the league in interceptions that year, but he also threw like 35 touchdown passes. That was why Jimmy's interceptions were so crushing because he didn't have the big plays and the touchdowns to overcome those. So when he did throw a pick, you were like, oh, no, we, you know, now we're really in trouble. So even if Brock throws an interception, I have confidence that he's going to rebound from that and throw touchdowns. Yeah, I do, too, Rob. I do, too. I don't think that let's just say he does throw a pick early. I don't think that takes him out of his game for the rest of the uh, the rest of the, the football game. I really don't. And I also think about 
say the 2019 postseason, for example, there are different ways to skin a cat, and Shanahan knows that. Like, you remember the game? It was the first – in fact, I think it was the first playoff game ever played at Levi Stadium. It was the Niners and the uh, Vikings week one of the 2019 postseason when they went on to play the uh, Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I think top of my head – I would have to go look at the stat sheet, but top of my head, I want to say – I think Garoppolo only had like nine completions in that game. And the reason for that is the Niners ran the ball for four quarters so effectively they didn't even need to put it in the air. So, like, I guess what I'm saying is I don't feel that it's necessary for Brock Purdy to go out and throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns to beat the Green Bay Packers. I think they can beat him with a combination. I think Brock can have a rather modest game in the year. I think Brock Purdy can complete 15 to 20 balls and let, let Christian McCaffrey go to work, let him go to work on the ground. There has not been a lot of evidence that opposing defenses can stop the Niner ground game. And as you know, there is nothing more demoralizing than running the ball down an opponent's throat for four quarters. And you get the added benefit of just fatigue by the second half in the fourth quarter, those defenses are going to be worn out. So I guess what I'm saying, Rob, is if, Shanahan decides he wants to run the ball for four quarters on Sunday I or Saturday in this case. I am all good with that. But I don't think Brock Purdy is going to make critical mistakes that are going to cost the Niners the game. Even if he does make one or two, I don't think it's going to be enough to have the to give that the keys to the victory to Green Bay. I really don't. The Packers defense was on the field for 89 snaps against the Cowboys. I know the starters were out for some of that, but not all of it. 89 snaps is a lot. Uh, let's get to a couple super chats here before we wrap it up. Gammon Brown says, Ewing over Duncan, F-bomb. Hit that like and subscribe button. I appreciate that. Matthew Rowley, <laughs> thank you very much, says, I'm also from Connecticut in Groton, and New Haven-style pizza sucks. It's just burnt New oh. York with less cheese. Fight me. I will, Matthew. <laughs> say that to my face. Uh, I, well, you know what we need from Matthew? You know what I would say to Matthew is like, hey, first of all, respect. I'm sure you have your your, your preferred places. But if you are actually rejecting Frank Pepe pizza, my simple question is, tell us where the good one is. If you don't like Frank Pepe's and you think there are better spots, where should we go? And I'll I'll write it down and check it out. I really will. That's fair. You know what? Let's get something good out of this, a good new pizza place. Rod Simmons says, we started the season hot. We've been healthy. Now we have Armstead and acquired Sebastian Joseph Day for for the rotation. So we should harass Jordan Love all game at home. That's something I said earlier this morning. We have been building yep. this defensive line for seven years now with Kyle Shanahan. If we can't get after the quarterback now when we need it the most with three games between the Niners and a Super Bowl title, when are we going to be able to get after? What have we been building for seven years? Oh, no, it'll come. I'm very, very confident in the pass rush. I'm sure they'll get to him this weekend. They might get to Jordan Love multiple times. That would not surprise me at all. And all I'm just saying, Niner fans, be patient. If the first quarter, if they're having a hard time getting their hands around Jordan Love, I have all the confidence in the world that they will get to him over the course of four quarters. And I go back to what we were talking about earlier, Rob, where I said Tim Ryan was talking to me in camp about this team's attitude. There really is a nasty disposition to this group, and there is a relentlessness to this group. And I think that comes with being so close in NFC title games and being disappointed and coming away with that bad taste in your mouth. I know that they do not want to experience that this year. So I know the motors are going to be revving very, very high on Saturday. 
It's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait. James Welsh is back. He says, no, it wasn't just the Ravens game. Like I said, in college, he was top of the league last year and dropped interceptions and interception-worthy passes. And he had a three-game stretch of throwing five interceptions. Then, yes, four against Baltimore. Listen, James, I don't want to know about interceptions that could have been interceptions. I'm tired of living in the coulda, woulda, shoulda been world, okay? The 49ers should have at least two more Super Bowl trophies since 2012, but they don't. What matters is what actually occurs on the field. And Brock has 11 interceptions this year. The same number as Jordan Love. The guy thinks everybody takes care of the football better than anybody. So, like, I'm not, I don't think that Brock Purdy has an interception probable. I really, I don't think we have seen that on the field. No, think about this. I mean, last week, you know, I'm watching the uh, Packers and the Cowboys. Some of those interceptions that Dak Prescott threw, like, I, I don't know how you can justify them on any level. Like, I don't – they just don't make sense. If you're like, who are you throwing that ball to when you watch the tape of that game? I don't feel that when I watch Brock Purdy, kind of like you said earlier. Now, again, I don't want to bury this guy. I can see that by some of the comments coming through, people are concerned and they are a little bit uptight about potentially what could happen. I would just tell all those fans that are worried about Brock Purdy, take a deep breath. Let's let this one play out. Before we get too uptight about this, let's see what happens on Saturday. Now, if Brock Purdy is sloppy, if we see bad decisions, we can come back and have another conversation next week about this legitimately. But until then, I'm not going to bury this guy, and I don't want to be too critical of him until we see what he can do on a playoff stage on Saturday. I'm eager to see it. I really am. You and all of the 49er faithful cannot wait Saturday. I think it's 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, it's going to be so much fun, just like this was, Paul. Thank you so much for, for giving me so much of your time. I really appreciate it. I know that uh, everybody was you know, really looking forward to hearing from you. I've been pumping this interview up for two days because I've been so excited about it. We really appreciate it. Oh, happy to be with you, Rob. You do have a great broadcast. I've been checking out the Gold Standard podcast on, on uh, Spotify, actually. I've been checking out your episodes. So you guys sound great. Keep up the good work. Go Niners. And I'm sure we'll talk again, Rob. You be good, man.